the gospel in two minutes. Triple E. Awesome. Awesome. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts. Acts chapter 10. We are in the book of Acts. We've been studying through the book of Acts um, for, I don't know, a while. And uh, we're going to be continuing in the book of Acts, <clears throat> starting... Uh, this is actually a part two, so if you have, um, have a Bible, we'll be in Acts 10. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, read what we looked at last week and do a little bit of a review as well from last week so you can make sure that we're all on the same page, and then we'll keep going. And uh, this is going to be part two of the sermon from last week, and then part three will be next week. So it's going to be a three-parter because it's such a huge portion of the text. So I'll go ahead and tell you the whole portion. Go to the next slide for me, and you'll see the entire portion of Scripture, which this sermon, which is really in three parts, is going to do. You can see we're looking at Acts chapter 10, verse 1, all the way through eleven eighteen. That entire uh, section, all of chapter 10 and that first half of 11, is really one big, huge main point. And so we're looking at it in three successive weeks because there's... You know, I don't think y'all want me to preach for three hours. So um, that's, that's what we're doing. I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, as I said, uh, starting at 10 verses 1. Uh, and I'm going to read last week's stuff, which is 1 through 16. And then this week's sermon uh, scriptures that we'll look at, which will be 17 down to 43. So you'll get the whole point of what's going on. But just to remind you of what's happening thus far, um, at chapter 10, verse 1, uh, we're seeing a, a shift of something that God's doing. Whenever a couple weeks ago, when here, um, we're looking at starting at verse uh, thirty-two, and it says, "Now as Peter went here and there, the narrative switches. Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Luke stops talking about uh, what's been happening before with Saul, and even before that uh, with with Philip and um, Philip and." Uh, Stephen, and then after that he switched over to verse 32 to where he starts talking about Peter and he talks about how Peter was prepared for ministry starting at verse 32 down through 43 and the preparation that Peter was getting for ministry was God was saying, hey, now it's always been the house of God has been the Jewish family. We're expanding this out and I want you to be ready for the fact that more people are going to be coming into the family of God and it's not just going to be those who are Jewish, but Gentiles as well. People that are outside of your racial mindset, not outside of your racial comfort, are going to start coming into the family of God. And that's what chapter 10 is all about. It's the preparation for Peter to start sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. Hence, we get to be in the kingdom now. So look at 10, 1, and we'll go ahead and see. Uh, we'll, we'll look at last week's verses, and we'll keep going. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was known as the Italian court, a devout man who feared God with his whole household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So this is a man who had heard about the Jewish God, believed in the Jewish God, followed the Jewish ethic, believed that there was a true God. He was monotheistic, but had not heard of Jesus. So he was not a Christian, but certainly was monotheistic and a good guy. Um, you can even see in 22 that he was an upright, God-fearing man, well-spoken of by the Jewish community. All right, verse, 30, verse 3. Now about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. So he prayed all the time, he gave, and the Lord uh, said those have ascended as a memorial to him. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. We saw that at verse 43 in chapter 9, where Simon, the 
the, uh, Simon Peter stayed with Simon the Tanner. Verse 7. And the angel who spoke to him had departed. And he called the two of his servants, a devout soldier from, from among and those who attended. And having related everything, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius sent three of his men to Joppa to uh, obey what the angel had said. Verse 9. As that was happening, Peter was also being prepped as Cornelius was being prepped. Verse 9. And the same day... I'm sorry, and the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And as we're reading this, we saw Peter um, loved the Lord. His, whole, his vertical relationship with God, as we saw last week, was good. He loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He followed him. He had been restored. But his horizontal relationship with men, God still wanted to address. Namely, his, his idea on uh, racial and cultural barriers need, barriers need to be broken down that those people that he did not want to hang out with and be with, although he was being prepared, also need to hear the gospel. So um, while he's praying and he loves the Lord, there's, and just like us, there's always things that need to be addressed. Verse 10, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell in a trance. And he saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon, on the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles. So there was definitely an, uh, some swine in there and birds of the air. And there came a voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Try to feel the weight of this. You've never, ever done that before. You've never, ever eaten anything like that. You've always, in your entire life, always, always been told, this is terrible. Don't ever, it's like if someone came to a, a pastor and said, hey, um, get drunk and smoke a lot of marijuana or something like that. He'd be like, never. It's not exactly like that, but the revulsion that the pastor would feel, you would think he would have, is the kind of revulsion he had. Now, they are different things. That's sinful and eating food is not. But try, I want you to feel the weight of the revulsion that Peter had. And that's why he's like, never will I have anything like that. And then the voice came again a second time and said, this is where it, is. it got awesome. What God has made clean, do not call common. And we realized last week, he's not just talking about food. He's talking about those who are not like you. The Lord has declared them through the gospel, if they trust in Christ, clean. And so you can be their friend. You can associate with them. You should be around them. The, the, the multiple uh, cultures that are being saved is, are huge trophies of God's grace put on display, not just here on earth, but in heaven as well for us to celebrate and so God has not made them common or unclean. And therefore, those of you who are in Christ here, you're not common. You're not unclean. The Lord has called you holy. The Lord has called you um, clean. In verse 16, this happened three times because there were three men. And the, whole, and the thing was taken up to heaven at once. Now, verse 17, that's where we are today. So let me go ahead and uh, give you a little bit of review of what we saw uh, of what's going on here from last week. So there's, there's six points that we're doing. And these six points that we're doing across these three sermons are just how someone is saved. How you got saved, how I got saved, how anybody gets saved. These six points are just how that happens. And so, but we're, we're looking at it through the lens of diversity, through the lens of racial reconciliation, or through the lens of Peter's eyes, not Cornelius' eyes. As you read this, you would think this is about Cornelius getting saved, how, how Gentiles are getting saved. John Stott says this, and this is kind of the, the overarching thing that we're looking at and remembering as we're looking at 10 and 11. John Stott says this, The principal subject of this chapter in verse 11 is not so much the conversion of Cornelius to Christianity, which is what we would think it would be, as much as it is the conversion from Peter from his deep-seated racial intolerance. So the point of this chapter is Peter is being converted away from deep-seated racial intolerance, which is why the title is Converting the Saint and the Sinner. 
So this is how sinners get saved, but it's also how saints like us, where we might not have deep-seated racial intolerance, but we still might have, and there was some controversy on this word, some naivete. You might be naivete or naivete. I had conversations with people, and both are correct. I looked it up. You can get tomato, tomato in this one, and it's either way. Um, it's, it's the truth. You can Google it later. Um, dictionary.com says naivete, and they're spelled different, so there. Anyway, um, converted away from... Now, we might not have deep-seated racial intolerance. We might not have that. However, we might have some, some um, naiveness, if you will, if that's not a word, uh, towards the way that we think about cultures. We, we may, not, may not engage with them, and we're naive to the fact that we don't engage them. We just don't think about it. And so we're addressing... If there is deep-seated racial intolerance in your life, we're addressing that for sure. But we're also addressing for all of us that we might just have some, some uh, thoughts about not hanging around with people. We just don't even think about it in order to do ministry. So here's the, the stages of the way God converts sinners. And as we're looking at it, it's also the way God converts us. The first thing we saw in verses 1 through 8 is how God prepares the ground of the unconverted. You can put up number 1. How God... Uh, converts the ground of the unconverted person's heart. He works on Cornelius there. He doesn't, he knows that there's a God, as a monotheist, but he doesn't know God completely, and so he begins preparing Cornelius's heart for salvation. He did the same thing when you were saved, and he'll do the same thing to the person you're going to share the gospel with. God's going to prepare their heart beforehand. That is good news. So that when you get there, it's not a blank slate that you're having to be like, oh man, I don't even know if I can share the gospel with them because <laughs> they don't know anything Good news. If God wants them to be converted, they, they have had their heart prepared already. When you go and share the gospel, it's good news to know that the Lord has already been working with them before you've ever talked to them, met with them, or anything. That gives me a whole lot more encouragement when I'm going to share the gospel to know, hey, you know, well, that's just a microphone stand, but hey, like, b- before I tell you the gospel, the Lord has already done work on your heart so that when I share the gospel with you, you're ready to hear it. Or maybe you're not, but the good news is that the Lord is going to prepare your heart when you're ready to hear it. So the second thing we saw, which is verses 9 through 16, deals more with the saint, deals more with the messenger, is that God prepares the messenger for the task. So here in verses 9, you can put up number 2, God also in verses 9 through 16 prepares Peter for the task. That's good news for you. Not only is he preparing the person that's going to hear the gospel, he prepares you for the task. You are being prepared by the Holy Spirit continually, day by day, to be able to do this. To be able to tell people the good news of Christ. To be able to proclaim to them, as it says in verse 15, if you trust in Christ, Christ God doesn't make you co- leave you as common or unclean, but he makes you holy. He makes you clean. He makes you special to him. He makes you part of his family. And then, as we keep going, we're going to see the next two points. So, um, let's go ahead and... Uh, Look at verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision <clears throat> that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So right after the trance, he wakes up, and then guess who's waiting on him? The people that God had sent, the three men. Standing there at the gate. Hey, we're here. We're supposed to be here. An angel said, come here. And then Peter, and you can just imagine Peter's surprise where as soon as he wakes up, all of a sudden, there's people there, and he's just like, God's doing something. This is amazing. Verse 18, and he called out to them whether Simon, um, they stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, here it is, behold, 
three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. That's awesome. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, uh, a centurion an upright, God-fearing, um, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So, we're going to come back to this. He invited them in to be his guests. That's revolutionary. Keep going. The next day he rose, and that's awesome too. We're going to come back to that. And went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Not the right response, but he's excited. Verse 26, and Peter lifted up and said, saying, stand up, I'm too a, a man, I'm just, I'm just a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me. So he's getting verse 15 right here stated now in verse 28. God has shown me that I should not call a person common or unclean. That's awesome. So when I was sent for... I came without objection. I asked then, he finally asks, we're going to come back, why you sent me? I asked then, why did you send for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house and at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. And therefore, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in a house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. This, is the, this, is, this, this next line, by the way, is the line that every single pastor who's ever preaching anywhere wants to hear whenever he walks in. The, this. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded to say by the Lord. Like, that's, that's the best reception that any pastor could dream of. All right, so verse 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every, every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right or does justice uh, or does what is acceptable to him, as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are all witnesses of all that he did, both in, in the country and in, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is one, that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Let's pray. God, be with us now as we look at your text. I pray for us all to have soft, receptive hearts to this. I pray that you would teach us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would teach me. Um, and speak through me, and that all of us would be blessed after this, and that more and more and more, that we would uh, continually find ourselves just amazed by the gospel, 
and that we would grow as a church and being mindful of the many cultures, the many races, the many diversities that you've given to us as special gifts uh, that we can celebrate and that we would grow in that and that we would think about that more often. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said last week, uh, kind of the big idea is that this is not so much about Cornelius being, uh, being saved as much as it is Peter being saved away from racial diversity. I'm sorry, racial uh, bigotry. J.D. Greer says this, and this is, this is a good, I think, way for us as we're starting in verse 17 to think. Um, J.D. Greer says it this way. A church's goal... So what I don't want you to hear is think, so what I need to do is, if I have any racial bigotry in my heart and soul and mind, I want to get rid of that. You should think that, but that's not all that we're after as a church. You're not just trying to get rid of uh, any kind of naive mindsets that you might have about how to uh, eliminate bigotry in your heart or to get rid of. So he says, a church's goal is not just the elimination of racism. If the Lord would bless, if the Lord would give, if the Lord would grant, it's also the achievement of diversification. So what we're thinking about here is not just for us to just reflect on our own hearts and try to eliminate those kind of things. We're also, as a church, wanting to add diversification. As the Lord would allow, as the Lord would grant, um, it's not an easy task. But that's, that's kind of the way I want us to think as we're going through this. God's vision to Peter was not... Um, stop being a racist, but also to embrace Cornelius and now to go and eat with him and now and go and worship with him. It's not just go to Cornelius and share the gospel with him and say, I hope you believe, and then go. Instead, look at some of the things he's doing. He's inviting these Gentiles before he leaves to come into his house in verse 23 and be his guests, overnight guests. That's not happening back in the first century. And then go to this other house and be their guests and eat with them. He even says that this isn't common. That this, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even to visit one another of another nation. That's what it says in verse 28. So when we're talking about racial diversity, we're not just addressing our, our hidden places in our hearts where we might have some racism, but we're also wanting to encourage us all to become friends of all, hanging out with all. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. has been commonly known to say, that, you know, the most kind of segregated hour of, of the entire week is Sunday morning. And so, while that's good, uh, my friend that I talked about last week, Jerome Gay, that came to our PhD class, he said something else that was really good. He said, um, while you want to have uh, a diverse church on Sunday mornings, that's still not enough, right? Because after that's over, if everybody goes back throughout the rest of the week and hangs out with their cultures, you're still not achieving. You're just, for an hour, worshiping together. But what you really want is diverse in the church service, but as you go out, blending together of lives as you do do lunch and dinners together, as you do sports together, as you hang out. You want to not just achieve diversification on just Sunday mornings, which we want. I mean, Lord willing, we want it. But we also want all of our hearts to do that throughout the week. We want to hang out with anybody and everybody. We want to become friends with every single person. So that's, that's what the Lord is doing here as he has these men stay at Peter's house and Peter goes to them. They're, they're doing life together. They're having parties together. They're, they're doing things together as diverse people. So we don't want us just to say, I'm not a racist, so I'm good here. We want to push ourselves to be diverse, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday. 
who are the people that we can all, not in some kind of weird, fake way, invite over to pat ourselves on the back and say, look, I'm being diverse, but instead have a heart that wants to do it. One of our commentators led off with this story. This was interesting. Um, Mahatma Gandhi shares his autobiography uh, in his books that one day in, in student days, whenever he was in England, he had left India to go to England, he was studying, he was deeply touched by reading the Gospels and was seriously considering becoming a con- convert to Christianity, which seemed to offer a real solution away from the caste system that divided his people of India. One Sunday he attended a church service and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. And he left and never came back and perhaps left Christianity forever. It, and he said this in his, in his memoirs or his autobiography. If Christians have a caste different, if, if Christians have caste differences also, he said to himself, I might, as well, I might as well just remain a Hindu. I mean, I know you can't look back and say what if, but what if that wouldn't have happened? And Gandhi would, would have been converted to Christianity. I mean, not that, you know, Christianity hangs on Gandhi's salvation. We're fine. But that's amazing, Right. That's pretty amazing to hear that. It's like, ah, why? Why would you do that? Like, he's such a a huge figure in in the world. So what we want is to achieve diversification as much as the the Lord would allow. This is where the text is driving us. So um, we've seen thus far in verse 1 where the Lord prepares the ground of the unconverted. And we also see uh, in section 1, we see in section 2, 9 through 16, where God's preparing the ground of the prejudice in the person's heart, that's Peter, and that God prepares the messenger to go prepare, share the task with him. And this next one, this is what we're going to see. And this happens in all times when anybody shares the gospel. In this next session of 17 down through 33, you can go ahead and put up number 3, is the intersection of the two and the interaction of the two. This is how everybody's saved. The Lord prepares one heart, the Lord prepares the messenger, but there comes a time where they actually come face to face and begin having conversation. So in verses 17 through 33, this is the intersection of the two and the interaction of the two, how they begin to talk with one another. And this is how we were saved. And it says that as Peter, verse 17, was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision uh, that he might see, behold, two men were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house. They stood at the gate, and the Spirit says to him, go ahead and go down there. You need to, you need to interact with them. These are the men that the Lord has sent. Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So it's huge that the Holy Spirit speaks directly to Peter to help him understand this is the will of God. And Peter went down to the men and he said, I'm looking for the one, or, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius sent us. And we, we get that explanation. And then it says in verse 23, so he invited them in to be his guests. He invited them in to be his guests. Peter invited these three men who were Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, and gave them a night's lodging in his own house that he was staying at with Simon the Tanner. He was already staying with Simon the Tanner, but now the diversification that the Lord, I think, is is driving us towards, he is beginning these practices himself. The Lord is moving Peter's heart. So he's not just looking at those that are different than him as people to evangelize. He's not just looking at them as people to make sure that I can sit by in church. But he's also now thinking of them as friends to be made. There's a huge transformation happening in the heart. Friends to be made. They, I don't know, I, I don't, I'm not like them. I don't think like them. 
I don't have the same cultural background as them. There's lots of questions I have. And he doesn't just look at them as a project to do evangelism and then to go hang back in his own culture. Instead, it's people that he can uh, make friends with them. He can hang out with them, get to know them, do life with them, invite them over and let their kids play with each other, go over to their house, let their kids play, with, and then they play at their house. It's complete diversification is what Peter is, is being prepared for. And then it says, even this, this is where it's awesome, because for all of us who get nervous and scared in these kind of situations, uh, Peter had the entire night to think on it. He could have, when it invited him in, they go back and he wakes up the next morning, you know, lays awake the whole night, staring at the wall like, what am I doing? I don't understand. I'm scared. I'm scared. This makes me nervous. I'm, I don't even know what to say. And the next morning be like, hey, guys, I've, I've decided I'm going to stay here. I've changed my mind. I, I may send somebody else to go. Uh, but verse 23, continuing, B at least, it says, the next day he rose and went with them. The next day, after a full night's sleep and thinking on it, he didn't bug out. He didn't change his mind. He didn't let his mind run away and get the best of him and figure out a way to either uh, neglect the Lord's will or circumvent the Lord's will but still kind of be obedient, right? He follows through with it the next day and he goes with them to their city, knowing what he's going to, knowing what he's going to do. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea and Cornus, um, was expecting them, and he called all of his friends together uh, and all of his close friends. So Peter enters this as a, as a Jewish person, completely surrounded by people unlike him at all. And he's maybe feeling, maybe feeling a little bit nervous, maybe feeling a little bit unsure. But even in those moments, it still stays true to theo- theological uh, truth. And Peter, when Peter in- entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And he tells him to stop. And uh, John Stott says, if Cornelius' act of falling down before Peter was unbecoming so too according to jewish tradition was peter's act of entering a gentile home so there's kind of two things that are unbecoming here first the theological incorrectness of cornelius worshiping peter that's literally proskuneo fall forward and and kiss the kiss the ring that's 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 proskuneo worship that's happening here and peter says no 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 stop i'm just a guy i'm just a man there's nothing special about me i'm just a man um and then also peter stops him but it's also some some theological weirdness happening that Peter is entering his house. Both are, by Peter, kind of polar opposites being addressed. Stott says it this way, whether consciously or unconsciously, Peter had just now repudiated both extreme and opposite attitudes which human beings have adopted towards one another. He had come to see that it was entirely inappropriate either to worship somebody as if divine, which Cornelius had just tried to do, or reject somebody as if unclean which he could have previously have done to Cornelius. So both of those polar opposites are, are addressed by Peter. He tells them not to worship, but he also willingly hangs out with, with Cornelius and all these people. Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god and to treat Cornelius. Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god, but also he refused to treat Cornelius as if he were a dog. So both of these polar opposites are being being addressed. Don't worship me. I'm nothing great, but I am going to come here and I'm just a man just like you and hang out with you and be here with you and you've called me here and be obedient to the Lord and get to know you and eat with you and share the gospel with you. So this was a literally an entire new world of Peter's to be able to share the gospel with. It says, um, and Peter lifted up and said, I'm just a man. Verse 27, he talked with him when they went in and he said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for 
a Jew to associate or to even visit with someone of another nation. But here it is. Peter gets verse 15. This is where he understands that, hey, not only can I eat bacon, but uh, it's okay for me to eat bacon. And just like that's, that's, that's fine, God in Christ, if you've trusted in him, no longer calls Gentiles or people that are different than me common or unclean, but Christ now calls you holy, clean, special, if you will, part of his family. And he, said, and he says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for it, that's why I came without any objection. So he helps them understand that this whole new world's being opened up and he's celebrating it. And this is, this is an interesting thing. I want to ask some questions because an entire new world of Peter's has been opened up for him to be able to share the gospel with. So as we're looking at that, let's ask these questions. Let's ask these questions. Is there, in your day-to-day interactions with people, an entire whole new world of people that you can also start sharing the gospel with? You know the answer to this. I, I don't know. But as you're going, just like he has this, an entire new world opened up, do you also, do you think that there are people around you that you might have nothing in common with except that you could share the gospel and become a whole new world of friends for you to hang out with do you want and 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 for them to be saved do you want this is this something that you want in your life Uh, do you want to be a part of something like this much bigger than much bigger than you that you've never even thought of do you want to be the kind of person that reaches out to people with people that might not necessarily share same common interests but to be used by christ to to um to hang out with them and share the gospel. And let's say it this way. What if they're already Christians? Do you still want to hang out with them to realize that they have things that they can teach to you about your walk with Christ? Because <laughs> we all have that mindset. We all have that mindset that I, people that are different to me can't share anything about Jesus with me. Um, I, I, I'm the one that has the, the ability to share things, things about Jesus with them. I'm the theologically sound one. Well, maybe not all the time. They also have plenty of things that they can share with you about your growth and your walk with Jesus. A whole new world is opened around you. I guarantee you, you have these people around you that you can be friends with, nothing like you, that you can share the gospel with, and they can help you grow in your walk with Christ. Do you want that? Do you want to have, as it says, the intersection of the two and the interaction of the two? Because we're converting... Jesus is converting, I should say, not just the sinner, but the saint. He's converting the saint. He's converting you and I to interact with people that we can also share the gospel with and learn and grow from. And this is where it gets awesome. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And then he finally, I mean, this is amazing. He looks at Peter and he says, why did you send for me? (laughs) I mean, I think that that's pretty amazing obedience. To have this measure of patience the entire way. Now, he did have the Holy Spirit kind of say to him, hey, I want you to go with them. That's, that's, that's a good thing. But still, all the way to there, he's been completely obedient. He's entering in the houses of people that he's had racial bigotry towards all the way up until then. And then um, he's trusted God and obedient this far. He's come this far and to finally say, okay, wh- why, do you, why do you want me here? I'm just trying to highlight his level of continual obedience even though he didn't know why he was there, he finally gets all the way there and says, why do you want me to be here? And then they tell him. Cornelius said, four days, he tells him what happened. And he says, I sent for you at once because you've been kind enough to come. And then verse 33, I mean, Cornelius is excited. He's like, I know you it for me. I want to hear something that I need to hear. We're all here now in the presence of God. 
to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. And so now he comes and he shares the gospel. Kent Hughes says it, I kind of joke towards it. Kent Hughes says, few preachers have ever had a more receptive audience than the apostle had on that day. That's probably true. That's probably true. And they say, we're ready. Tell us what you want us to hear. And then we get into verse 34. Verse 34. And this is section 4. This is how you're saved. This is how I was saved. This is how everybody's saved. God prepares their heart. God prepares us, the messenger. They finally interact. But this much happened. Number 4. Put it up. Number 4 must happen is the messenger shares the gospel. Number 4. Anytime now. Boom. There it is. The messenger shares the gospel. That has to happen. I want you to notice these um, one, two, three, first five words. First five words. This is a major mountain for some of us to get over, right? Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth. You got to do that. We are called to a lot of things. There's no, no doubt. We are called to cut their grass, give them uh, our, 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 our resources that we have, love them well, read to their kids, be nice to them, uh, give them a shoulder to cry on, become their friend, feed their families, grow from them, rebuild their house, buy them a car, get them a job. You can put all kinds of stuff in there that we're called to do. As Christians, we're called to these good deeds with, with everybody. It doesn't have to be like just people that are different than us, people that are just like us. This is our, our, our call as Christians. Good deeds, um, without a doubt, are our call. However, Peter opened his mouth. You have to open your mouth. You have to, if you will, get to the gospel. You have to become a gospel proclamator. Is that a word? Someone who proclaims the gospel. The way that people get saved is that we finally share the gospel with them. And this is what Peter's going to do. He opens his mouth. And yes, the gospel is foolishness to, to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's controversial. It is. You may be persecuted, but don't ever be afraid to open your mouth and proclaim the gospel because there is amazing power in the message of the gospel. So in your interactions with people, I don't care who they are, if they look just like you or not, you got to eventually open your mouth and share the gospel with them. Now, Peter's uh, out, sermon outline has some points to it. I want, you, I want to make sure you see these things. You, you can read through it and you can, you can get it yourself. But I want you to make sure you see these the, kind of the, the things that he says. There's, there's six things in his little sermonette that he has um, that, where he play, proclaims the gospel. It, it may have been longer and Luke may have just kind of uh, shortened it up for us as he says what happens. But I want you to see. The first thing is this, this kind of personal statement. that Peter, These won't be on the screen here. But there's, there's this little personal statement that he gives uh, regarding something he's learned. He's, it's kind of the preface, if you will. The other five points are things that they need to learn. But the first thing that he prefaces is, here's what I've just learned. Coming thus far, and as I'm starting this sermon, I want, you to te- I, want you to te- I want to tell you what I've learned. So Peter opened his mouth and said, here's the prefatory statement that he has learned. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality partiality. This is what I've learned. God doesn't show favoritism according to race. That's what he's saying. There is no race better than another race. I've learned that to this particular point. Peter helps them see there's no racial barrier for salvation. God doesn't show favoritism towards race, nor should I. God doesn't think one race is better than the other, nor should I. Also, God helps them see that there's no racial barrier to salvation. So since there's no racial barrier, that's why you see in verse 35, 
But in every nation, anyone who fears, in every nation, that's all of them, panta ethne, that's all of them, anyone, anybody. So there is no uh, favoritism, and every single race now is invited in to, as it says, we'll, we'll see this in a second, but every nation who fears him, and this is encapsulating the, the belief and trust in God, and then it also says, and does what is right and acceptable to him, or... Those who fear him, trust in him, believe in him, and do righteousness, do justice, are justice doers. Those are the people that are acceptable to God. So, yes, uh, you're saved by faith alone, but you're always saved in order to do good works, Ephesians 2.10. And that's, that's kind of what's being said here. But the first thing that he says is this. I want everyone to understand what I've learned before I teach you some things that you need to learn. Because you've told me to... In verse 33, everybody's here. We believe that we're in the presence of the Lord. You're here, Peter, and we want you to share the gospel with us. Here's what I've learned. (laughs) There's no racial barrier to salvation. And then he goes into the actual sermon outline. Um, The first thing that he does, and this is is a straight-up gospel presentation. As we talk about, if you ever want to talk to somebody about the gospel, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and you can just, there's the gospel right there. This is, this is also starting at verse 36 down to uh, 40, well, you can go to 43. You can go to 41 or 43, your preference. I would say to 43. But there's a, that's, a, that's almost the same contents as 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. But here it is. Um, the first thing is the life and ministry of Jesus. You, he's going to preach the gospel. He's going to tell him about who Jesus was, his life and ministry. For as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace... Through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee. And how after the baptism, John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. You can stop right there. That's, that's kind of that second point. After he tells what he learns, he says, You called me here, and I understand that most of you are probably like Cornelius, as it says in verse 2 and 22. You're God-fearing men, you're monotheists, you believe in the God of Israel, but you don't know who Jesus is. You want to be saved, you invited me here to tell you the gospel. How, this is how you're saved. Jesus is God, and you need to know who he is in order to be saved. And so he talks about the life uh, and ministry of Jesus, who he was, that he was born, that he was the Lord of all, that he is God, that God anointed him, Jesus uh, anointed him, as it says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he did all these good works, oppressed the devil, and we were all witnesses of everything that he did. First, you need to know about Jesus' life and ministry. And then the third thing in the sermon is right there in the end of verse 39. You have, this is what I've learned, Jesus' life and ministry. And the third one is Jesus' death. Verse 39b, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Stott says, Peter was, under no, Peter was under no necessity to call the cross a tree, but he did it by design in order to indicate that Jesus was bearing in our place the curse or judgment of God for our sins. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, where Peter 
writes something similar to this. If I can find 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, quoting Isaiah 53. And so Peter, as he proclaims the gospel, talks about Jesus' life. But after you talk about Jesus' life, because they don't know who this, he is, he talks about Jesus' death for them. And he, used the, he uses the word tree, helping them understand that you were under the curse, and now Jesus has taken the curse for you. And by him dying on the cross, you don't have to be cursed. You don't have to be common. You don't have to be unclean. Instead, you can trust in Christ, bearing the curse and the weight of sin for you. And now you can be considered clean, or you will be washed. You, you will be uh, made whole. You will be made holy. So the next thing after in his sermon is his, what he's learned, Jesus' life and ministry, and his death. And the fourth one now is Jesus' resurrection. Because if it's just that, then we're all still in our sins. As 1 Corinthians 15 says. But the resurrection gives us life. You can see it in verse 40 and 41. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not, all, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. The resurrection is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely crucial. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we too have been raised with Christ and are now seated with him in the heavenlies. And so as he's proclaiming the gospel to them, they're understanding the way for me to know God is by Jesus' life and ministry, his death for me, and then the resurrection which gives the proof and the power that now I have been saved and I can be saved completely. And then there's, there's two other things that are crucial. So that's the gospel. We're going to get to the rest of what, how it plays out next week. But after he preaches the gospel, he tells them two things that are absolutely important. Verse 42, this is number 5 and 6 in his sermon outline. And he commanded us to people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to the judge of the living dead. So after you get saved, this isn't something that you just keep to yourself. After you understand what Jesus has done, now you also become a witness, as it says in Acts 1-8. You also go share the gospel. This is not something that when you get converted to, you're fine and you just chill till you go to heaven. I want you to know what you're signing up for. You're signing up for eternal life, and now you're also going to be like me to share the gospel. And after he tells them all this, the sixth thing is, to all the peoples bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then that's the, that's the sixth one, which is now, believe. Come to Christ today. Cornelius and all of you. I've told you what the gospel is. I've told you what it means. So trust in him. Believe in him. As he says, receive forgiveness of sins through his name. He, he throws the fishing line out there and he's setting the hook and he's saying, trust. And he's ready to be a fisher of men and bring him in. So, as we hear that gospel proclaimed to us, as we hear that gospel proclaimed over us, this is what's happened for us. Christ lived the perfect life for us that we couldn't live. He died for us on the tree, taking our place. He took the wrath of God for us, and he was raised three days later, showing that he has the power over sin, and we do as well, forgiving us. And then he's telling us, you are now joining all those who have gone before you as witnesses to go preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel, not just to those that you feel comfortable with, but to everyone. A whole new world is opened up to all of us to proclaim the gospel to. And then 
just like we believed and received forgiveness of his sins, we proclaim this to other people. We proclaim this same message to other people. So as we go into um, uh, the conclusion, let me ask a few questions, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Here's the first question. Who do you need to befriend? Who is it in your life that you know you need to become real friends with? Not just hang out with once an hour and feel like you're really, like, begin to do life with. If we're just looking at some first level applications from this sermon, we see that the Lord is asking us to befriend people. Not only that, who do you need to faithfully share the gospel with? And who would you have never thought of can become someone that can teach you about how to grow in Christ? Who are those people in your life that you need to hang out with, befriend, so that you can grow in Christ with them and they can also help you grow in Christ? Who this morning, if you're not a believer in Christ, needs to trust in Christ today? Perhaps you've never heard the gospel like Cornelius. And as you've heard this, you thought, that's me. I need to trust in Jesus for forgiveness of my sins. I've never been saved. I've never trusted in Christ. I have never in my life known that my sins are forgiven and that I am rightly placed with the Lord because he took my, my, my sin and I want to believe in Christ and become a Christian this morning. That's me. Who here needs to trust in Christ this morning and become a Christian today? Yes, it does mean that you'll become a witness as well. It does mean that you'll also become a, a proclaimer of the gospel. But it also means that you're saved forever. It also means that all your sins are forgiven. It also means that you will be in heaven forever with Jesus. Who here needs to do that and trust in his life, death, and resurrection for you? And the last one is this. Who needs to begin growing in their mindset to realize that since, as Peter said, God shows no partiality towards races or no favoritism towards races, who, as they read that in verse 34, needs to remind themselves of that? That the Lord shows no favoritism according to race, nor should we. That everyone who is an image bearer made in the image of God has equal dignity, value, and worth with me. And since the Lord loves them, I need to love them and hang out with them and become their friend and grow with them as a believer in Christ. We're going to go into a time of Lord's Supper. We'll look at the rest of the text next week. We're going to go into a time of Lord's Supper where as we take the Lord's Supper, we remember these very things that Peter proclaimed in his gospel. And this is crucial. I know I say this each week, but I want to make sure we understand. The gospel message is not something that we hear once as kind of like 1.0. And like, okay, I've got the gospel 1.0. Now I need to graduate to 2.0 to the other spiritual things. What are the other things I need to learn about theology? The gospel is it. It's 1.0, 2.0, and 100.0. We never ever move away from the gospel. We all need to grow in our understanding of the gospel. And as we take the Lord's Supper, it is for us the reminder of what Christ has done for us. It's the, it's the gospel being proclaimed to us by, by the word to remind us this is what the Lord has done. Each week we come in here to hear that Jesus lived the perfect life for us, to hear that he died for us, to hear that he was resurrected, and therefore we are. And so those sins which we think so easily entangle us have all been paid for, and now God doesn't see us as uncommon. God doesn't see, see us as unclean, but now he sees us common or as unclean. Instead, he sees us as holy, and we need to remind ourselves of this every single week. We need to have that every seven days proclaimed to us through the sermon and through the supper so that we can be sent out again, if you will, gospelized 
to know who we are, to have the good news proclaimed to us. And we never move away from that, like Stott says in the cross of Christ. Once we come to the cross, we never move away from the foot of the cross. We stay there the rest of our life, continually reminding us of what Christ has done for us. That's how we have true victory in this life. And so we take the Lord's Supper to do that. As we come each week, we take the body, the, the, the bread, and we remember that his body was broken for us, and we take the cup representing the blood that his blood was shed for us. And so we're going to go into a time of Lord's Supper now together as a church body. And as we do that, um, I want to remind you of what it says in the text that we should never take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, but instead we are to be mindful, examining ourselves before we eat of the up. And so over this next time, Jordan's going to lead us through a song. Uh, and I would just ask all of you that are believers in Christ uh, to come forward. If you're not a believer in Christ, just, just sit and watch and think and let the gospel be proclaimed to you, not just through the sermon, but through the table as well, as we also take of these things and remember what Christ has done for us. Um, if you, when you come to tables, I would tell you also that there's, there's juice and you want. Uh, and then bring the bread and the cup back with you to your chair, and we'll take it corporately. The Lord's Supper uh, is a great opportunity for us to celebrate our, our unity in the faith. So we'll take it to just through that. So I'm going to... I invite you to get the bread and the cup. Until the Lord's Supper do that, the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for this text, which helps us understand uh, your great design and salvation for all the nations, but also the work that you want to do in all of our hearts. And Lord, I pray for, uh, for us all, as we take the Lord's Supper now, that we would do it with glad hearts. Lord, that we would do it with hearts that celebrate what you've done for us. That we would be overjoyed as we look at the gospel through this lens, that you have, as Peter says, um, lived the perfect life, that you lived a great life of ministry, that you died on the tree for us and took the curse for us, and then you were resurrected back to life, and therefore we are as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.